Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by all my awesome co-hosts, Nate Heininger, Laura Nash, and Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Sky, Children of the Light, uh, the latest game from that game company and developer or designer Genova uh, Chen. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar to you, that's probably because of Journey. Journey came out way back on the PlayStation 3. We did an episode on it pretty early in the show. Uh, I'll try to make sure we have a link to it in the show notes. I don't actually remember what uh, what uh, number that was or quite how far back that was. Uh, but Journey was a pretty revolutionary game for its time. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about why without trying to rehash that entire episode. Uh, but this game is attempting to build on that innovation with some new ideas and taking them in some sort of surprising or unexpected new directions. Um, and uh, one unexpected aspect of it is that this is a free-to-play mobile game, not something we usually cover on this show. But it's an interesting enough game and a spin-off sort of, or I don't know, spiritual sequel to a game that was important enough to the short game that we felt this was notable enough to spend some time covering. So I'm excited to talk with you guys about it today. Yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to this uh, journey and all the games um, from that game company have always been games I really loved and followed and, and watched for. Um, I think it was PS3 when Flow came out and that was the first um, game from Genova Chen and, and it was something he created in college and he had this theory about games that was about the idea of the flow state where you know you could create this uh, this feeling in in gameplay of just um, cruising and improving and feeling good and positive. So he creates this thing where you're a, basically a bacteria eating other bacteria and growing bigger and and uh, that was flow and it was a college project or a thesis that he turned into uh, a, a professional, release on the PlayStation 3, which, you know, I thought was a really great start to somebody's career. Uh, but he's kind of had this same vibe through all of his games. Uh, first it was Flow, then there was Flower, which is a game in which you are a flower and you are growing, which very interesting. Then I think, I can't remember what the third one was, and then he had Journey. Or I, th I think Journey was the most recent, I right? think Journey was the third one, and then there's yeah. a long gap of time, and then Sky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I've done a lot of research on him just because he's one of the most uh, watched, I suppose, game designers. I mean, when he talks, people listen, and he's very thoughtful. He was part of the Victorian Albert uh, design, uh, video game design exhibit that I went to. And what you see there is just the planning is on a different level than a lot of games because he's thinking about cycles and deaths and rebirths and the games end up being absolutely gorgeous. So when they announced that he was doing a free-to-play iOS exclusive, at least at first, uh, I was really intrigued because his meditative, beautiful style didn't mesh with my understanding of in-app purchases and addiction. Yeah. Uh, he did <laughs> yeah. have, but Journey did have a really cool social element that he said was going to be part of this game. So I'm, I really enjoyed my experience, but I think I enjoyed it intellectually just as much as I did experiencing it. It's kind of a game where we're going to be talking about what is an iOS game supposed to be 
while we're talking about the game. So I'm yeah, really psyched for it. I definitely wasn't expecting the loot boxes. Um, that was <laughs> surprising. And and this game, Sky Captain, the World of Tomorrow, is like if you take the uh, you know one of the coolest parts of Journey is those like random encounters where there's someone else playing. Uh, and particularly like the end of journey. And they're like, what if we took the end of journey and we made an entire game about it? That's how this game. Wouldn't you like to, to fly? Me. Yeah. Wouldn't Wouldn't you, you, like yeah to you know fly? how you fly at the end of journey and it's like really awesome and really beautiful and, uh, and, and just like uh, a wonderful experience, especially if you're like me who somehow spent the majority of the game not playing with someone else. And the majority of my actual social experience in that game was just the end flying around with someone else and and ending the game. And it was really, really awesome. So taking that experience and making a whole new game on mobile yeah. uh, was pretty, uh, it, it made a lot of sense. It's actually, to me, a pretty logical next step of taking like a single moment from Journey and I think a really uh, memorable experience in Journey and building a whole game around that. Like, what does everyone talk about Journey? It's 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 an interesting experience. It's it's a journey. It's unlike any other game. But there was like the social part that was so unexpected is what I feel like is what most people talk about. And so now this whole game is is that with like an actual structure and not just like, oh, you may or may not run into someone while you're playing. I think what really is the most was the most revolutionary about Journey at the time was the way that it handled Uh, social interaction between players in a way that was very carefully designed and tailored to generate these very positive experiences. Um, You know, even in the PlayStation 3 era, online experiences that involved other players were already starting to feel really dreadful. People's best approach to this was, well, you know, we can have a game where everybody can shoot each other in the head, but we'll have maybe some kind of moderation. And then we'll get a perfect, lovely experience that everyone will have a good time in. But what Journey did was it absolutely removed everything that you as a player could do that wasn't helpful, kind, or otherwise like a pleasant part of an experience for the other players. So, you know, you couldn't hurt other players. You could barely interact with other players except in ways that were joyful. You could dance with them. You could try to show them or lead them to things that they may not have noticed. Um, and uh, it, it, it was revolutionary. Like it was at the time, it was I, absolutely- I'd like to say that they did that by stripping away almost any way in the game that you could express yourself. Right. Uh, you could yep. express yourself essentially in Journey by walking around. And I had this beautiful moment when I played Journey. Or chirping. Where, yeah, and you could and you could ping, you could chirp. And um, I had this beautiful moment in Journey where I got to the end and I'd made it to the kind of last screen uh, with a buddy. And they walked around in the snow and left footprints in the shape of a heart. And yeah. like that's the, that's the kind of expression that that game allowed and encouraged. And uh, that what's different about this game is that this is a game that wants to um, – wants to deluge you with different ways to express yourself um, and give you tons of ways to uh, emote and to design how you're represented in the game and even to speak to the other players, but still does all of that in a way that's very carefully designed. This game really seems designed around, I mean, okay, looking at the, looking at the developer's website, 
what they say about this game right on the, the front page is embark on an unforgettable social adventure in an ever-changing kingdom of compassion, community, and wonder. And like that's really the vibe that they're going for is the compassion especially. They're really trying to find ways to design a social experience in the game that allows you to interact with other players in a much freer way than you can in Journey. But trying to really double down on ways to encourage the players to be compassionate with one another in this sort of <laughs> adventure that they're taking. It's it's a really it's a really interesting approach and they they've done some very clever things to achieve that. I don't know how perfectly they've achieved it, but I can at least say that in the time I've spent with the game, nobody has you know said anything mean to me. So that's good. <laughs> I I do have a a uh a funny you know sort of moment from this game and and you're right like so basically everything is is made to be like how can we be friends right everything how can i be a friend with you uh and there are these little benches that you can sit next to Mm. and uh, when you're sitting next to someone else on a bench uh you have the ability to uh talk to them and it lets you like actually type whatever you want and i was i sat down next to someone and started typing them uh, just like, hey, how are you? And it was a very friendly conversation. So the, you probably think that this is going to someone like sending me like a dick emoji or something like that. Not that. What happened is some guy <laughs> or person kept coming over and sitting. And apparently these benches can only have two. And if someone goes up and tries to sit down, it kicks someone off of the bench. Ooh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and so I kept getting kicked off of my bench. I was like, oh, oh. oh come on. I'm just trying to like. I was typing to the person like, hey, this game is confusing to me. How are I'm you just, today? I'm just trying you to know? have a social adventure of compassion over here. Yeah, You're taking exactly. my spot. <laughs> and someone kept, yeah, someone kept kicking me out of my chair. You know, can't sit here. Uh, so it, it's <laughs> funny. The big social difference to me is <coughs> exactly what you just said. This game feels crowded where Journey, you only hung out with one other person. And maybe I'm just an introvert who likes small groups. But it was a little crazy to me that uh, everywhere I went, there were many people. It actually felt very popular. Yeah, apparently you can you can have up to seven people around you at a time. And those people are sort of coming in and out. So it does feel like a crowd sometimes or it feels rather rather like a lot of people at times. Yeah, it's like uh, it, when you're pitching this game, you know, you can say like really the, the way they pitched it. Or you can say like, if you like Journey, but it's an MMO. So, um, Shane, I think the, the trouble about this game is it's, ex- it's extremely hard to actually explain what this game is in this in the terms of a game. You know, we've had a lot yeah. of long perspective on Journey. We can kind of explain it somewhat, and many of yeah. our listeners will have played it. But this is, in some ways, harder to explain. And I wondered if you'd give it a crack, because their website certainly doesn't help. Sure. Um, in this kind of game, it is kind of... It, well, it's simultaneously very easy to explain just sort of what you're doing in the game. And um, when you get into the into the weeds and into the nitty gritty, it's, it gets a little harder. The easiest way to explain what you're doing in this game is that you're progressing through a series of levels. I think there's, let me count them up. Six. So yeah, six, depending on how you count the levels, like maybe eight if you, if you, if you count them, the individual little spaces. And you're going to progress through those areas, growing your ability to fly by finding uh, different candles and lighting them uh, and collecting the candlelight from those candles, which adds to adds to your energy that lets you fly. And you'll be 
growing your your cape, which lets you fly by collecting uh, something called wing delight from these glowing children of light that you that you find in different places around the world uh, as you explore. And you know, as you kind of progress through these different levels, you're going to you're going to be also finding a, a lot of kind of hidden things to kind of add a little spice to the world. You're going to find these ancestor spirits um, who you can befriend by uh, giving them candles and by uh, kind of finding them wherever they are kind of hidden throughout the world. And you're going to be able to, you know, give candles to them and to other friends that you find along the way uh, in exchange for hearts that you can, you can exchange for things like, you know, special hats a couple things out of that. The the levels have a very if if you play journey, the levels have a very journey like feel in that, you know, you are progressing usually in a in a single consistent direction. It tends to feel sort of like journey, you know, up and out kind of vibe. Uh, mount, Dark climbing, light, mountains. yellow, blue. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's in a sense, it's kind of like several little mini versions of the whole game of journey um, that you can play one after another. Um, but each of them also has a kind of a scavenger hunt, where's Waldo kind of approach, because as you're progressing <laughs> through it, there are many hidden areas where these children of light and and um, and ancestor spirits are just sort of hanging out. Um, and you can sort of divert from your main path of climbing the mountain or escaping the tunnel or whatever else you're doing and find those hidden things to level up your character. So it, it it's uh, it feels that in some ways a lot like its predecessor, but the the scavenger hunt element is totally different. That journey didn't really have that sort of thing. It had um, achievements that you could get for finding certain things in the world, but it wasn't any serious part of the of the core experience. Yeah, of the game. this is meant to be played journey through multiple was, times in order to find all of those spirits and things. Yeah, journey was all about you know moving forward, moving ahead getting to the next stage of your journey. Uh, and, and one thing that I, another sort of thing that I think that this game carried over is that there's the feeling that you can go any direction, uh, but it's obvious which direction you should go in. You know, like in, in, I think of journey where you're out in the middle of that desert and you feel like you can go left, right, you know, north, south, east, west, but you're like, you see something on the horizon. You're like, Oh, I should it makes sense for me to go towards that because where else would I go? The levels are designed as gigantic bathtubs. So, yeah. uh, you know, and there's only one, there's only one drain, you know, in general. So you, you can go an almost infinite distance in, in a lot of different place, ways. And they have lots of clever ways of breaking up your eyeline. But, uh, you know, the, the levels are um, uh, these big, beautiful spaces to explore and then uh, move on. I always think of that as the sort of Disney World uh, level design where there's a big central focus. There's the big, you know, there's the magic castle in the center and you can pick any direction and eventually you'll be pointed back towards that castle. And that's sort of how these levels work too. You're always progressing, even if you're kind of ducking downside corridors or little pathways or whatever else to find those spirits. You're always sort of naturally flowing back towards that center line. Yeah, but something I'll give this game a lot of credit for is that a lot of exploration games, it's not fun to move. Often in exploration games, you are walking, climbing, riding your horse. Thank you, Zelda. Um, but often it's kind of what you see along the way that's fun. This game 
wants the movement itself to be intrinsically fun. It's kind of like traversal the game uh, because, you know, I had a little bit of tough time flying when I was on my iPad, switch back to iOS style controls. Flight was wonderful once I got the controls down. Um, and I think that also there is nothing more fun than sliding down a hill in stop. It was my favorite thing in journey was the kind of like snowboarding thing. Loved it here. Any game that lets me just slide down a hill is my new best friend. So I want to give this a lot of credit because open world games, it often sucks and you feel like you're grinding when you go towards the edges. Um, or you have to wait and buy a damn horse to get there. We need to do a snowboarding game on this show. Oh, Are there yeah. any good indie snowboarding games? <laughs> Listeners, let us know. Guys, please build us a snowboarding game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I think the movement in this game is actually pretty good. Um, I, I, I don't 100% uh, love it. There's still times where you're going to feel like, uh, you know, I, I know I want to get over to this place. I haven't been. And I'm going to be going through like two or three screens and just trying to like run. Uh, Also, sometimes when you're flying, like sometimes when you're flying, the game feels like it's just opened up. And like there's this first in one of the very first levels um, in this day prairie area, there's a moment where you get to soar through the clouds and uh, it's right after the splash screen of the uh, the name of the game sky goes across the screen and suddenly you are in just the open clouds and the way that those clouds move and roll is so beautiful and so gorgeous. And the graphics for this game are so showy and so fancy uh, that it really is beautiful to just sort of cruise on down through those clouds. There's other times where it feels like, oh man, I got to slog my way across Mm -hmm. the desert again. Uh, Or, you know, I'm trying to get to this one secret that I can see, but the whole level wants me to slide down a snowy hill and I'm fighting with it the whole way. That's true. Yeah, um, that that clears up a lot the more that you level up your ability to fly, your winged light. No, no, I disagree because it actually gets much worse as you get later into the into the game. Yeah. Uh, hmm. When you're trying to get through the final levels of this game, it starts to strip all of your ability to fly away or design the level in a way that makes flying not really practical by putting enemies above you and things like that. And the game actually can get quite frustrating. They uh, add a lot that. of friction if you're not doing just the main path and running through. Like if you're trying to do any of the side quests, the Where's Waldo pieces, uh, a lot of what makes the movement feel great is taken away from you. I think it's to try to make the difficulty feel better or like make the achievements yeah. harder. But like it does mean that the thing that I found most the game felt like it wanted to me to be on rails, maybe so I would buy stuff. Maybe. When I didn't have power. But I wanted to go exploring because it's I fun. Don't, I don't feel like this game is designed in a way that is uh, like trying to get money out of you. This is a game that will accept your money in exchange for literally uh, postcards that you can send to your friends, basically, is what, what it boils down to. One of the things that this game does differently from journey in the movement that um, it took me a while to get used to. And that I absolutely really love is the ability to do a, like a lunging jump. So your movement on the ground in this game has this sort of swipe that you do on the screen, which makes your character do a lunging jump and you can do it at any time in any direction. Most of the time you're using an on screen 
um, kind of virtual joystick, you know, dragging your, your, your finger around. Uh, but the swipes make you do a lunging jump. And um, a lot of the levels are designed uh, around getting about around that lunging jump. Uh, so most any surface that you couldn't just walk up, you can jump over uh, by doing that jump. So it that aspect of it actually felt really good in practice. And then furthermore, letting you go pretty fast by doing repeated swipes to do kind of a skipping motion. All of that aspect of it, I thought really felt good on the ground in a way that Journey didn't, where I always wanted to be able, always wanted to be flying. And that's what they really start to push you to do towards the end of the game. They have this, this level called the Eye of Eden, uh, which we'll talk about after the spoiler break, where you're going to have a hard time getting through it if you're not being really good with the swipe jumps. So, you know, you, you basically can't get through it just by flying and cruising. So there's a lot of places in this game that feel awesome to just have that really free flight movement moment uh, of where you're cruising through the clouds, but then it will ground you and make you do some other stuff. So whether or not you like that gameplay, it, you know, it, it's something you can get better at, but it, it all comes out to, I guess, a, a game whose movement is uh, pretty good, but I would rather be using a controller. Yeah, I want to talk about that specifically in a sec, but I also wanted to, but while we're talking about just the various movement mechanics, we didn't really talk about the way the winged light and the flying mechanic works, and I found it sure. um, a mixture of clever and frustrating that I've kind of yet to fully wrap my my like feelings around. Um, so the way that the, the mechanic works is that obviously this is a game about sky and your the whole pitch of the game is that you can fly, right? But it's not the sort of total freedom of movement flying that you might expect. Uh, it is designed around, you know, your character has a stat called winged light, which is part of what you're upgrading throughout the game. And basically it's like how many swoops you can do. So a lot of, you can think of the flying mechanic as a little bit like Mario's cape in Super Mario World, wherein, you know, you've mm -hmm. got a kind of a swooping mechanic that you can do. And you've also kind of got a little bit of a boost kind of thing that you can do. But basically, anytime you do a kind of a swoopy boost, that takes <laughs> one notch out of your winged light, which is represented on screen by a little meter kind of thing at the top of the screen. And uh, I think you start with just two. And... Um, I don't know how far you can level it up. Uh, I played probably less of this than the most of you guys because I, well, had a kind of a bad week, so we won't go into it. But anyway, um, I didn't get to play very much, and I only got to level up my winged light to, I think, four? And even four didn't feel like a lot. So, like, I'd see a place off in the distance that I want to go to, right? And I would want to fly there, but I would, you know, and I'd start with a full meter, and I'd take off, and I'd kind of swoop a full few times and then plop, I'm back on the ground and I'm only halfway to where I wanted to go. And that's not very satisfying to do. The way that you refill your winged light is by cruising through clouds. There are a lot of clouds, but they're usually placed in places where it, the game kind of doesn't want you to go, if that makes sense. So like, oh, you're not supposed to be here. Go fly back the other way. Um, and also sometimes cruising close to glowing creatures. There are a lot of glowing creatures in the game that are, you know, 
chilling out or hanging around. And usually they're kind of subtle indicators of the critical path, because if you're following the critical path up the mountain or wherever you're headed, you're going to find lots of those glowing creatures, which gives you lots of like mid-flight refills on your boost, so to speak. And you can fly a lot more or farther if you're kind of following that critical path. But if I'm trying to fly off towards one of these little side things, I'm going to run out of boost real fast. And I found that sort of like here, kid, go ahead and fly. But if you don't want to fly in the straight line, it's going to suck. I kind of hate that. I, I, I like the mechanic of it in that, like, I, I do think it's kind of clever to, like, the, the feeling of the sort of gliding flying mechanic is fun. And I like the idea of having a meter on it and and kind of having that sort of um, midair refill kind of boost mechanic. That works but only when I'm going in that straight line path. It, when I try to fly anywhere else, it just it just made me resent that it didn't work to fly the way that I wanted to fly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess so. But the levels are also designed in such a way that like you're not really forging your own path through these through these levels. Like you're there's a there's a way that is going to be easiest for you to go, and it's going to be the way that everyone else is going to be. And I would find the main way that you are going to be finding your way off the beaten path is by going with another player, you know, like being being led. And just by being next to that other player, you're refilling your energy. So so that's I think that's what the game really wants you to do. It it Mm. doesn't want you to go off alone. It wants you to go off together and more, more more to that. You can hold hands with a friend. Like, so if you have added this, if you've given a candle to somebody, which is, I guess, how you become friends now, we're very much, it's a very millennial way to make friends. Mm-hmm. You, you can now hold their hand and you're basically constantly recharging each other's flight and you can kind of cruise off and get wherever you want to go. Huh. Yeah, I had that same problem where early in the game, I was trying to forge my own path. I was flying into clouds to try to get refreshed. Like it was just, I kept trying to go places of the game I felt like I should be able to reach and I couldn't two or three worlds in. I, I didn't know about the hand holding, and then someone took my hand and I was like, Oh, this is how you get the high areas. Like I thought it was that you needed to be burning more blue plants, which I kept burning blue plants. And I was like, why can't I fly higher? <laughs> like I've burned all the Venus fly traps I can find. And it turned out the answer was pair up with, four different people and just zoom. The answer was love all along. The answer was love. It's funny uh, you say that uh, yeah. holding hands is the millennial way. No, it's no, like, giving candles. Yeah, dude, candles are the new pets. Haven't you heard? Candles. Oh, giving candles is okay. a is a very millennial. Haven't you ever made friends with someone by giving them a candle? Oh, all the time. I just heard you wrong. Totally. Yeah, I, I you, have a backpack Nate's just walking up to people and holding their hands and hoping for love. Yeah, I'm I'm like a 50s uh, sock meat. What am I? What's the? I don't know. I'm you have no idea where you're going hop. with that, yes. so I can't help you. <laughs> sock hop. I'm like a 50s sock hop uh, attendee who uh, my whole thing is I'm hoping to hold a hand. Oh, oh. that's that's lovely, Nate. I'm <laughs> thank you. Uh so yeah, no, you're right, Shane. Honestly, like like I said, I've played probably less of this than the rest of the group here because of some illness, and I didn't get far enough to really do a lot of play with other people. And I, this is going to sound kind of weird, but like in Journey, 
I absolutely played with other people, right? Like I, that was that was what was so exciting about Journey. Um, but I think that the barrier, I guess maybe this is a mental barrier on my part of that was lower in Journey because there, there was no friendship mechanic, right? I wasn't adding someone to a friends list. I wasn't giving them a gift. I wasn't going to have to interact with them later. When you add a friend in this game, you have to add a nickname for them that you type in yourself or it can randomly suggest one. And like the whole process of that, I was just like, I don't know, man. There's a level of commitment in adding someone to a friends list that I was like not quite ready to do. I was I was more interested in it once Shane got on and I was able to add him to my friends list. But something about having like a something about having an anonymous person just sort of randomly drift into your game without any expectation that you're going to know this person in any way deeper than they are present with you in this moment as Journey does made 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 my like level of like discomfort with interacting people online go to zero. Whereas in this game, as compassionate an adventure as this is, I still just sort of felt that way. I was like, I don't know. Do I really want to add this person? Well, that's fine. You know, if you spend, honestly, you need to, you need to get what this game actually is, is trying to do with its social side, which is very, I mean, I'm sorry that you don't feel comfortable having your digital avatar on screen hold hands, Reagan. But um, the, the the game, I think the way that it handles nicknames is actually an example of an innovation in this game. So, like, if I become friends with someone in this game, I still know zero about them. I know absolutely nothing about them. I assign them a name. I might make it random. I might... I, I had... Uh, let me tell you about an interaction I had with a couple of um, with a couple of players in this game. So uh, I was going through um, this one area where they had just introduced the krill, which is the pretty much only enemy in this game. It's the terrible, scary uh, sky shrimp uh, that descend on you. The kraken things, yeah. Yes, they fly sky through the sky shrimp. and they drop on you. And krill, um, that's the word. Yeah. Exactly. The krill. So I was in the golden wasteland uh, and I had been um, uh, I was walking with another player and there wasn't a lot of like candles around to restore my light. Uh, so uh, it was it was good to stick with another player. And this player uh, with a ponytail uh, gave me a candle. And so I nicknamed this player ponytail and mm -hmm. I went with ponytail through a lot of this level. And then, you know who was there? A cool person in a fox mask, who I nicknamed Fox Mask. It's like, you're not really socializing with that person. You're not really letting them in in a way that's like social, unless you want to. At a certain point, you know, uh, Ponytail gave me a high five. And if I had put, if I had wanted to, if that had been a, a moment of fun that I, I thought was so awesome, I want to I want to use my candles. I can become friends with this person and actually unlock chat. But I probably would never do that, you know. Uh, but I did have a meaningful interaction with Ponytail and Fox Mask, where I like dumped Ponytail. And I was like, man, Fox Mask is way cooler than you, Ponytail. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna follow Fox. Which Mask. is meaning, which is what you do with your friends. Yeah, too. yeah. But then when I got back yeah. to the island, in between game sessions. I sent some candles to Ponytail to say thanks for thanks for getting me past that terrible krill. So, you know, that's the kind of interaction that you can have in this game. It's very very uh low stakes and basic and it doesn't ever have to involve 
even knowing someone's name or seeing anything other than maybe that they chose to wear a fox mask versus a ponytail. So there's this weird theater uh, piece called Sleep No More that takes place in like this abandoned factory and everyone in the audience is wears a mask and you're not supposed to talk to anybody. And they tell you before you get into the space, they're like, we don't encourage you to go into this with your own friends. To the point that if you are visibly in a couple, they will open the elevator doors and kick one of you out onto a random floor before shutting it and taking you up. So I feel like this game has that same attitude where, yeah, you met Shane. The game kind of doesn't want you to meet your actual friends there. Uh, The game wants you to temporarily befriend a stranger, have interaction with someone you don't know, because it's kind of peeling off the layers of the first time you meet someone, they are the shadows. You kind of light them up by being next to them. You can give them a candle and give them your own name. But every time you you are making them more of a person, but you still have no real the, the interactions only through the the gameplay. So it, it, it seems anti real friends. It's, it's it's like a weird mask wearing party where like <laughs> did you have to tell figure out where Shane was standing to meet him in the game? No, if you invite someone um, using like the invite link that you can share with a friend uh, or using the QR code that the game uses, then you automatically unlock uh, to the level where you can talk to that person because it assumes oh. that you're physically together or you've intentionally nice. Um, or you've intentionally uh, befriended that person. But yeah, friends in this game is pretty low stakes, but it, it is nice to be able to walk hand in hand or fly hand in hand. Uh, you can actually follow people uh, around uh, without befriending them. You can just, you don't even have to see what their avatar looks like. They just come through as little dark uh, ghosts. Uh, but even even those little dark ghosts, if you see one and you're interested, you can pull out your candle. And if you light each other's candles, You'll see what each other's avatars look like. So uh, it's it's pretty insulated, and uh, they also have things other little social elements like places where you can leave a message. Uh, but there's like yeah. an upvote downvote system on those messages, and I've only ever seen positive ones or uh, messages written in Japanese. They are like <laughs> the nice drunk girls' bathroom stalls. They're like yes, go into the wild and. <laughs> Like, you deserve love. (laughs) I'm just waiting for, you know, you have this wonderful experience. You've handed candles. You go to sit next to a bench, and they're going to ask you for, like, your Tinder profile or something. Uh, ASL, please. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I haven't had that experience yet. Um, I did have a a bench conversation with somebody that basically amounted to, hey, where are you at? Toronto. Oh, where are you at? Denver. Do you understand this game? Nah. Do you? Nah, (laughs) that's what I was trying that that do you understand how this game works conversation was what I was trying to have with the person when I kept getting kicked off of my bench seat. (laughs) Shane, actually, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about so this game can be I mean, I'm living proof this game can be pretty baffling when you first jump into it. Um, The the goals are pretty obscure and uh, the, the, the singular goal of okay, there are these like areas, worlds, levels, whatever we want to call them with a progression through them is pretty clear. And that is sort of the game. I mean, I think you can have a complete experience just sort of following those to their end, but there seem to be all of these other goals. We talked a little bit about the, uh, the guardian spirits, uh, or not guardian spirits, the ancestor spirits, as well as the, uh, light 
children, children of light, whatever they are. Sky captains. Yeah. And, and we talked a little bit about all of those, but I, even, even kind of knowing that stuff, even after I'd kind of ferreted that stuff out by digging through in-game menus and looking at, like, honestly, I got a better sense of the goals of the game by looking at some of the, like, help in the game than I did from the game itself, which is a weird thing that isn't usually the case and I wasn't expecting in a game like this. Yeah, I the, it has a it has a pretty extensive good in-game help and pretty good menu system, uh, but it hides it completely from you. Uh, and it took me uh, literally a full day of playing before I even noticed that I could activate a menu in this game because it, it doesn't ever tell you how to access its menu system. Uh, you just have to happen to tap in the corner of your screen. So um, the, the menu in this game is pretty obscure, uh, but it does hide a lot of really good options in there. One thing that's really, really good, I, I want to see this in more iOS games, it has a graphics option. It has actually uh, four different levels of the graphics option that, uh, you know, I, I have a you know late model iPhone, uh, so I, I like to play my games in uh, looking really nice. And when this game is looking nice, it's looking really, really nice. But you can actually prioritize 60 frames per second over uh, high resolution, um, which looks, in my opinion, even better. And I also found in certain places it helped me to turn the graphics down uh, because some of the later levels are actually really, really dark uh, and uh, make use of a lot of glowy particle effects that can make it kind of hard to see. So turning the graphics to their lowest setting was occasionally useful to me. The support in there, like there's a like a knowledge base in the app, which is weird to see in an iOS game. We're particularly weird to see in like an art game from Genova Chen. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. And uh, there's a bug report option in there. Uh, this game's clearly gone through a long um, beta testing thing. There was tons of beta testers listed in the credits when I beat it. Uh, so, you know, it, it's when you have a game like this uh, that's designed to be this relaxing seamless spiritual experience it can it can be like you expect it to come whole cloth uh out of maybe some holy place uh but this game was not found on the dead sea scrolls this game was developed very painstakingly and tons of love went into every <laughs> visual of this game it's so gorgeous and and so seeing you know the you know bug reports and the you know all the effort that's gone into it uh, to making the experience a, a good one. It's, it's really amazing. I, I think a, a ton of, a ton of effort and uh, love went into this game. And, and I think I actually felt that love. I actually, I, I, this is a game where it's like, it's weird, but I, I always do have a little bit of an emotional response to Genova Chen's games. So, and, and this one was no exception, which was, which is why I I have the feeling of regret for not having spent any money on this game. <laughs> I feel it's, I feel the need to buy all of these candles simply I, to support. I wouldn't mind giving him a few can, but I think I will support this game by purchasing it on other platforms rather than uh, buying candles, which uh, doesn't draw me in terribly. I, I'm just fine earning my candles. So I admit I was really cynical when I heard about it being an iOS first release because I assumed that uh, he was just getting a big fat paycheck from Apple to release first. But it sounds like 
he was going for slightly more mobile, uh, noble, I meant to say. Noble, mobile, and social. Yes, because he he was saying he wanted something a family could play together. And uh, there's a quote that he said that mobile phones have 2 billion players and there are only 200 million consoles and 9 in 10 people haven't played on a console, which I don't know if that's, that is not how that math works because <laughs> most people share consoles to Nova Chen. But I think the idea is that he thought when he made this, hey, there's eight people, like, we could have an eight-person family that all goes in a room and plays this game together. And it's like, and I think you said, it's like making a playable Pixar movie. So there was this really almost heartwarming ideal of this game being like families going on a flight journey together. Um, I I think that some of that came through. You know, mom, dad... Big brother, little brother, and your glowing manta ray. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the nuclear family. And it's so yeah. funny because I kind of wish this game, when I started, said, this game is better with a friend. Invite one. It does say, though, it says this game is more than fit half sound. or It, it, it says, says where- best with headphones. Yeah, sound is more than half of the experience. But it doesn't say that friendship is more than half of the experience. And honestly, Which- it is. I, yeah, I, I was funny because I, I love when a game, I, I always try to honor when a game says, put on your headphones, sound design is one of my favorite things. Uh, and I have to say, like, the sound in this game was beautiful, but I think they were discrediting the rest of the game when they said that the sound was more than half of the experience. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure more than half the experience was the visuals and everything that we've been talking about uh, for this entire episode. Yeah, Ed, you want to know the really high metric he has for this game success? What's that? He said, uh, I think it will be how many people played the game and they changed their taste that they don't want to play crappy games anymore. Yikes. Good luck. Uh, That would be (laughs) cool, but I don't know. That's pretty lofty. uh, He can put me in that tally. I don't want to play crappy games anymore. All that right. is true. Great. Hey. I mean, I don't know if you did before that, but I'm glad to hear that that's still the case. You know, I, I think it is very it is really something here that he's he's putting this game out on mobile first. Like, I, I think there's so many things that work against this game on mobile. Um, and we can talk about some of those controls, monetization, other weird stuff that make his vision not a perfect fit for mobile. But his vision of making this a game that as many people as possible will play, well then, of course, there's no other choice. You put it on mobile because, you know, mobile phones are the most popular gaming devices in the world by an extraordinarily large margin. And making it a free-to-play game means that it's accessible to all of those those players. Uh, you know, it, the, the population of players who only play free, uh, premium paid-up-front games on mobile is actually extraordinarily tiny. Um probably probably even smaller than some console markets. So, you know, if his main goal was to build a beautiful thing that as many people as possible in the world could experience, I guess I can honor the choice to make this a free-to-play mobile game despite the fact that I think there's a lot of things about that about the reality of that business model that I think work against this as a piece of art. I mean, a million downloads in the first 5 days. Yeah, hard to argue with that. That's not what you do on a console. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that 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 the the mobile 
you know, the, 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 the fact that this game is an iOS first game w- built with a sort of freemium model kind of works against it. Um, I don't want this to sound like I am poo-pooing on the game because I do think it's a, it's a genius work of art. Like it is a really, truly beautiful game. And in, in many ways, I think it measures up to journey and it has new ideas that bring something to the table. Like there have been other games. We've talked about things like Abzu that have looked to journey for inspiration and have tried to do what Journey did, but really didn't bring much to the table that felt like a like an evolution on that idea, on the ideas that Journey had all the way back in, I don't even know what year that was, but whenever that came out a while back. Um, this feels like it has, it's, a, it's building on that original idea and has new ideas in that area. Um, so I do think this is a brilliant game and absolutely worth playing. Um, I... I do feel like I have to talk about some of the things about this that like kind of drag it down though. And and I, partly that's because I am really looking forward to this coming out on other platforms where I think I'll just enjoy the experience more. Um, first off, we talked about the controls already, but like, oh my God, the, the controls. Like I, I complain all the time about on-screen uh, joysticks or on-screen D-pads. And when I saw that that was how this game was going to work, at least on the phone, I was pretty disappointed. Uh, and then when I tried it on the iPad, which doesn't use a virtual D-pad by or virtual joystick by default and found that its controls were even worse, I was just desperate hoping that it would support MFI controllers on my iPad. So I went and hunted through every drawer in my house and finally found my disused, dusty uh, SteelSeries Nimbus controller that I bought with my Apple TV way back in the day, plugged it into charge because it hadn't been used in literally years, got it up and running, got into the game, and oh, wouldn't you know, it doesn't support those. So like this game, the controls are just not what I would want. Did you guys have a lot of struggle with them at all or like? I did at first. The controls are all right. (laughs) I think I had, yeah, I think I I switched from iPhone to iPad because I wanted to see the pictures, the pretty pictures on a bigger screen. And then I had some trouble with the iPad controls. When I switched them back to iPhone, I had less trouble, but I I ended up going back to the iPhone just because I found it more comfortable. Um, To me, after a little bit of adjustment, I was fine. But to me, the only time I had a lot of trouble was that iPad um, two-hand control, which just did not work for me at all. I mean, I I think some folks will respond differently to that. If you're the sort of person who doesn't mind on-screen virtual joysticks, then this will probably work fine. These are pretty decently implemented as those sorts of things go, but I just sort of find myself allergic to those. You know, they just don't work for me very well. And and any time that I have trouble, like, you know, mantling up a slope or something. I I always have to think like, is this because I don't have enough winged light or is it because of the stupid virtual joysticks? And it was like a constant source of like double. It might be because you needed a friend. Yes. There's all (laughs) of that too. Um, And then I guess there's other things about the mobile first design of this that I think are odd, but the one that stands out the most is the fact that this is a free to play freemium game with a sort of you know, buy, uh, buy virtual currencies business model. Um, and it feels a little tacked on. They've done a pretty good job of trying to show you like trying to, first of all, I think they've done a pretty good job at not making the store a core part of the experience. There's no timers in this game to its credit. So you're never having to like, Oh, just wait for your winged light to recharge, or you can pay $5 to recharge it right now. That's not how this works. Um, there is a, uh, there's a, the whole 
scheme of the game is about collecting candles and then gifting those candles to other players. And it's only candles that you are gifted by other players that convert into hearts, which are the actual usable currency in the game to buy upgrades for your character. And those are mostly things like hats and skirts and things, um, which are very cute. The character designs are interesting and cute. And I did want to actually collect some of that stuff. But for me, the upgrades were not particularly compelling. Uh, you know, they're, they're cute, but it's not really core to the gameplay. And, uh, but, but it mostly left me like questioning, like, do I need to be paying money into this? Where do I need to be paying money into this? How does the money interact with the game? Like occasionally the game would tell me, Hey, you should buy the, the like searchers pack or something like that. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that do for me? It tells me it gives me a whole bunch of X, but I don't actually know what X does in the game for me. It was mostly a confusing factor. Like it wasn't really a huge holdup. Shane said he completed the whole game without spending any money in it. And I think that's to the credit of any, um, any free to play mobile game, but like, gosh, I was just confused by the, the monetization scheme here. Well, um, if I can kind of break it down there, there's really, uh, one additional currency that you're you, you you need to consider, and that is the winged light. Once you finish the game and loop it at the end, any winged light that you've managed to bring uh, can be turned into special ascended light candles uh, that you can then spend on uh, your special hairstyles and capes and other things like that. The you know there's and there's lots of different kinds of cosmetic items. You know hairstyles. Capes, pants, shirts, uh, masks of all kinds. So if you're if you're sticking around in the game, you know, you're going to earn that kind of stuff slowly or you can pay money to get a shit ton of candles and then you can get some of it faster, but you're still going to have to grind for some of it. So, I mean, it's in that way, it's kind of typical for any mobile game. One of the things I think is the, the thing that feels like is very strange is it's like here's this beautiful art gallery that we want you to come and experience and have kind of a, have an emotional reaction in and you're welcome to come back as many times as you like and see the exhibits. And those exhibits are going to change a little bit. And as you walk around those exhibits, you're going to see other people and they're going to be wearing really weird hats. And at the (laughs) end of the exhibit, we're going to offer to sell you some really weird hats and that's how we make our money. And we hope that you'll come back next week wearing just the, the very weirdest hat that we sell you. So, um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's not a bad way to make money if you can, if you can pull it off. Yeah. You've kind of, you've kind of illuminated a little bit for me because I do guess that like, I think the intended path here, and I think I didn't see this at the start, um, because the game does occasionally kind of, it doesn't really shove the monetization stuff in your face, but, you know, it, it's hard to miss, right? What I think I was missing, though, what I think I wasn't understanding is that I don't think this game really does want you to spend money on your first time through. I think it wants you to play through the game as a, you know, single meditative experience helped along by the, the you know, fellow travelers in the stream. And then it wants you to loop back yes. through and help the next batch of travelers, right? Mm-hmm. And and it really wants those travelers that help you to be wearing like weird shit. 
The coolest stuff. <laughs> Just like super, you, the, one of them's going to be a goth ninja and one of them's going to be in a chicken outfit by the time this game has had a few a few runs at Abbey. There'll be mohawks and electric guitars. Uh, one of them is a giant Pepsi can. Just dope kicks on every flying bird person. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely. Yeah, bird, I, bird I think you're right. You know, Honestly, now that you've talked to me about it a little bit, I think I kind of understand and, and feel a little better about it. Like I, I was, I was a little baffled by the monetization because I was just on my first time through the game. It was just like, how does this relate to the, to the experience that they're trying to build here? Like, why am I, why am I being sold currency that does nothing? And I think it makes much more sense in that context that it is sort of just a way to, um, a way to incentivize people to kind of take that loop a second time and, you know, help Sherpa those other people up that mountain and look super freaking cool while they do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as Shane mentioned earlier, we are going to do a spoiler break towards the end of the episode here, where we're going to talk a little bit about some endgame stuff from the game. Um, if you're interested in hearing about the end of Sky, Children of the Light, uh, then stick around after the spoiler break. Uh, but before that, of course, as always, we have a segment we like to call What's Making Us Happy This Week. Laura, what's making you happy this week? So... Mine's incredibly specific. I toured uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright House Falling Water uh, when I was moving. It's in uh, Pennsylvania. And I took my tour, and on every single bedside table, there was this amazing, weird-looking carafe that was, like, it was metallic, black and white. It was, like, in a circle. It looked like a tea kettle. And it looked, it was one of the coolest Art Deco things I've ever seen. And I emailed the suggestion box, which I think is for like, how far do I need to walk? Like, is it going to rain? And I emailed and said, hi, please tell me what the bedside carafe is. And they not only got back to me once, they got back to me twice. And they both of them went to spam. I was checking spam for something unrelated, opened it up. And now I know that it is the spherical miracle thermos from 1935 made by the American Thermos Bottle Company. And I've got a bunch of eBay alerts because apparently they don't come on sale very often, but I could get a thermos from 1935 for about $75. If someone listening to this podcast outbids me, I will cry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Don't you do it. Oh my God, they look so effing cool. And I found out they come in like blue and mint and pink. And all I want now is a $75 thermos from 1935. <laughs> but I can't have one. I'm did Googling you say, it now. Did you say it was called the Spherical Miracle? Yeah. If you search That's a real Spherical good name. Miracle Thermos or the Thermosphere. <laughs> they just had better names back then. Yeah. There's one in the Brooklyn Museum and there's one in the Smithsonian. Like they're, they're, they're in design museums. And I think that's why... Um, turns out people don't keep their thermoses uh, from 1935, but there's one on every bedside table. This is like another thing, like uh, uh, Aziz Ansari's show, Master of None. You know, it's like so beautifully designed and there was like a bedside clock. You know, he's like a beautiful alarm clock. 
that we looked up and it's like, oh yeah, you can get that alarm clock, but it's $245. I mean, uh, I found out you could get like a specific kind of Soviet alarm clock for about $20 on, on Etsy. And I thought that was great. But now all I want is a $75 thermos that is not available for love or money. Uh, Hit Mm. me up if you have one listeners. I am looking forward to seeing one. I'll try and have a picture as the uh, listeners. You may not have noticed if you just tend to listen with your phone in your pocket. I do chapters on this show and I can do per chapter art. And so I'll try to have a picture of the spherical miracle in your podcast app right now. Uh, But now we're moving on to another one. Nate, what's making you happy this week? Yeah. So a couple things. One, uh, still playing some Slay the Spire and just getting more and more into that game. So uh, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but if you want to get into our Discord and talk about Slay the Spire with me, I would love that. Uh, but uh, separately, a thing that is making me happy is this weekend, I am going on uh, every year, me and like all my friends go down to the lake and we do like a lake house thing. And we all are, you know, have friends from around the country at this point and everyone flies in and uh, it's just a great time to see some people that I don't get to see all the time. But the thing that I want to recommend from this is something that we've been doing for a couple of years and it always makes me happy is that we make a group Spotify playlist that everyone who's going to be participating, who's coming down for the weekend will add music that they want to. And then we have a rule because we get a PA, we have speakers playing like the entire weekend is that you are not allowed to skip a song. So the playlist yes. is play is nice. is playing for virtually the entire weekend. I mean, you know, until like the last person goes to bed, then you get up and turn it on. And right now our playlist is at approaching 60 hours of music. And it's everyone is adding, you know, it's either like their favorite songs or just like goofy nostalgia bullshit or whatever it is. Uh, it just ha- it just adds a sort of backdrop to the weekend that is really, really fun. And I definitely recommend it if you're doing any sort of event with your friends, having a group playlist that you're not allowed to skip. That's a key element. Uh, I think it's it's really fun and it's added something to this uh, a group event that I look forward to every year. And that's this weekend. So. That is a really good pull. Um, mine is going to be r- real slight this week. Like, like I in, like I mentioned earlier, I've been sick, and so I just really haven't done anything this week. I haven't had time to do anything, really. But I, I am going to pull a bit of a Nate here, because I have a thing that's been going on with my daughter. You played FTL? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Get in no. our Discord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's a thing that my daughter has been doing recently that has been making me very, very happy. And that is that um, I've recently seen her progress from, you know, just farting to making fart noises with her mouth, oh. which was a, a, a big development that she was very excited about to only just recently figuring out that she could make fart noises with her hand and her mouth, which was, you know, it was like watching the first scene out of, uh, of uh, 2001, a space odyssey when the apes learned to use tools. It was like, now, now I have learned to make true fart sounds. So, so the, the many, the many beautiful fart sounds of, uh, of my daughter Wednesday has been making me happy this week, despite my, extremely poor health so that's great uh, i still feel like i as an adult am searching for new ways to make fart sounds so i'm glad to see that when yeah i feel like i'm glad to see that wednesday's already embarked on such a lifelong journey 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very proud of her. I'm, I'm very excited to see what sorts of new and exciting rude noises she creates from here. Forward. Mm-hmm. Shane, what's making you happy this week? Well, um, went on down to the library uh, as a family and we got some got some kids books and it's always great to head down to the uh, main Houston Public Library uh, downtown branch where they have a scale model of Astro World. What? The theme park that I uh, haven't been to since they tore it down. Houston's lost jewel, Astro World. Um, but it's not that beautiful model of an incredible Astro World of, of, of days past that's making me happy. Uh, it's the book that I got while I was at the library, which is Provenance by Anne Leckie. Oh. And I've really just begun it, but I know I'm really going to love it because of how much enjoyment I got out of her previous series, Ancillary Justice, uh, set in her Imperial Ratch space opera universe, which is such a, such a great book. If you, I guess my recommendation this week is read Ancillary Justice, hmm. um, but I'm so excited about Provenance because uh, it's in the same universe, but it's a totally new story, not connected to the original trilogy. Uh, and uh, it's about someone who uh, pays to have a criminal released from prison as part of a complex plot involving forgery, stolen antiquities, and all kinds of other stuff like angry aliens and weird science fiction space opera bullshit. So I am <laughs> um, I am very excited to be uh, to be cracking the cover on Provenance. I really, really loved the uh, the Imperial Ratch books. Those were, I think, those were recommend from you or maybe from our mutual friend Jen. I forget who recommended those two to me, but yeah, totally seconded. Those are great books. So I need to I need to check that out too. And Lecky is from St. Louis. Yes, that's right. She is. So listeners, uh, we're about to come up to our spoiler break, but uh, here's the admin and outro. First of all, uh, if you weren't aware. The short game is now supported by Patreon. So uh, if you are interested in supporting the show, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash the short game. I won't give you a whole long explanation of why we're doing a Patreon. The short version is that we want to expand the types of games that we can cover on this show. uh, And part of that requires a little bit of a budget. And if you're interested in more detail, check out our Patreon page where I've got a whole post up about it. But the long and short of it is that the most exciting thing about the Patreon that we've started so far is that patrons or supporters at any level including $1 a month, if that's all you can contribute, but we would love to have more. We've got a $5 a month tier as well. And hey, if you want to kick us more than $5 a month, that would be very nice too. Uh, But if you want to uh, kick us even $1 a month, and that gives you instant access to our Discord. And if you're not familiar with Discord, it's a group chat platform, uh, and it's where we do all the planning for the show. So you get in on the background of the show, you get in on discussions that we have uh, with our patrons and with each other about games that we're playing, what's making us happy, all the sorts of things we talk about on the show, and lots more. Uh, And uh, that's all open to you at $1 a month or more uh, support on our Patreon. So go to www.patreon.com slash the short game, or go to our website, www.theshortgame.net and click the Patreon link. We would really appreciate your support. Uh, and thank you so much to the patrons that have supported us so far. Yeah, absolutely. It's been so much fun getting to talk to, uh, those that have joined the discord already. We have been incredibly excited and pleased with the early results of this, uh, sort of Patreon, uh, expansion and, 
not only because of the support, but also because our little our little uh, Discord group is now bumping. It's crazy. Yeah, like, it is. You it's, know, it's, it's become a cool hangout now. It's been really yeah, a lot of fun. It has been fun. Um, and as Reagan said, we do have a five dollar uh, um, tier, and um, we call that the short list because we're clever. And uh, in, in one of the just infinite amount of perks that you get for reaching the $5 level uh, is a shout out on the show. So I'm going to shout out some of our more of our newer $5 uh, patrons since the last episode. So we've got Tyler Plummer, Lee Nash, Woo! and my brother. someone. <laughs> thank you. Hey, <laughs> Thanks, you know, Lee. family. Uh, so Tyler Plummer, Lee Nash, and someone known as Lou. So thanks, Lou, Tyler, and Lee for joining at the $5 level and being a uh, part of the shortlist. We in, we super appreciate it. And then everyone else who has contributed, uh, has we also very, very much appreciate it. So yeah, thank sincere you. thanks to everyone who's contributed to the Patreon. We, we really mean it. And it's also been just so nice to get to know most of you on Discord. And so I hope that anybody listening to this who's interested uh, goes to patreon.com slash the short game and checks that out. And of course, you can also find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find a contact form. Uh, you can suggest games to the show via Discord, but you can also suggest them via our contact form on our website. And of course, also on Twitter at underscore short game, which is a great way to reach us on the internet. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? On Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. I also want to say, uh, if you can't support the Patreon, totally understand. The other thing you can do is leave us a review on iTunes, uh, which I love to shout out on the show. We haven't had one for a while. And I mostly bring this up now to say we've been at 68 for quite some time oh. now. So there's a little perk Ooh. there. There's a little, <laughs> little, there's a little something, something in it for you. For so if you want to leave us a nice review. Yes, a little nice review. We would uh, really, really appreciate it. And you would, uh, that's a milestone review if you ask me. So, Wink. Um, well, yeah, so uh, thank you for those thank who Thank you for and, calling that and, out, mate. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and Shane, where can people find you? <laughs> You can find me on the Discord or on Twitter at 8BitShane. And ladies and gentlemen, here it is, your spoiler break. So I'm going to run just quickly through the different areas that you see in the game. Uh, I already mentioned a lot of these because it's there's no surprises here in terms of if you've played Journey and you're expecting a, a desert, you're going to find a desert, stuff like that. But you you really begin in a place called the Isle of Dawn where you get the basic controls. And then you go to the Day Prairie where uh, you get to meet the manta rays and soar through the clouds and really experience the flight for the first time. Then it gets to this hidden forest where you find that there's rain that's going to kind of drain your energy, getting you wet. Uh, and they also introduce this kind of these kind of burnable elements that are these sort of dark plants that are growing. Uh, probably my favorite level was the Valley of Triumph, which is a big snowy downhill race into a giant coliseum. Um, and yeah, uh, definitely my favorite to... area of what I experienced too. That's beautiful. They do some good snow tech and the yep, the lighting is beautiful and it's just, yeah, it's that's awesome. Also, if you're uh, trying to get some candles, there's a lot of candles at the bottom of that 
that hill. So it's an easy way to grab some candles. Uh, then there's the Golden Wasteland, which is the introduction of the terrible Krill, who can fuck off. Uh, yeah, they can just go to hell. <laughs> the Vault of Knowledge is the last main level. Uh, that is a kind of a climbing path upward through a giant cylindrical library of constellations uh, that expands out into kind of a nighttime skyscape. It's a very uh, odd level, and I actually found it to be maybe a little buggy or hard to progress at times. And then finally, there is the, uh, you know, once you've completed all of those main six levels, there you're able to go to the Eye of Eden. Uh, and at the Eye of Eden, it is a kind of slog through a windy, you know, it's the place you've been progressing towards, which is this, the peak of this mountain. And you can see from the beginning of the game that there's a, there's a swirling dark maelstrom of like, you know, dark clouds swirling around the top of this mountain uh, and a light at the center of it. And you're trying to reach that light. The, the, the level gets, you know, the, there's flying rocks and stuff that are, you know, hitting you and, and draining your light. And you can actually start losing the winged light that you've carried in. And once you really progress through that, which is actually I found quite difficult. I, it, uh, I'm sure it's possible to do it alone, but I really was only able to do it with help uh, from a, one of the other players, which I think is intentional. You actually reach this place at the center where you're giving away all of the winged light that you've managed to bring with you to these uh, frozen children that are there and uh, kind of waking them up. And at, as you give away the last of your winged light, uh, you seemingly die, uh, which was very dramatic because I, I had come into the Eye of Eden with this one guy who I nicknamed uh, Endgame Guy because he had no special <laughs> hat. Um, and uh, I followed Endgame Guy until we got to the very bitter end and there, you know, we just sort of dropped dead and froze together. Uh, and then you explode out of death and you find you come face to face with kind of another kind of glowing figure and you're reborn and you're in um, galaxy brain territory where, you know, it's just swirling universes everywhere. Uh, and then you're flying through the skies and it's a very triumphal moment. Uh, and uh, then you reach this kind of final liminal space of, you know, stars and, and blue uh, where you kind of, prepare for your next adventure by taking any of the uh, winged light that you managed to bring all the way with you uh, and you give it to the different ancestor spirits to get this ascended light, which you can then you can then use on stuff like, uh, you know, I, I bought a fancy, uh, a fancy new cape. Wonderful. Uh, and then you basically start the game over. So, you know, I think it actually is a game that I'll wind up playing through again. And, and I do like that as you go back and play through it, you can just kind of play whichever levels you want. You have to have, I think, 20 of the different spirits picked up in order to go back through the eye again. Uh, but you can actually just go back through all the levels a bunch of times and get a bunch of light and then tackle it again or just do whatever levels you want in any do order. Things, do things that you've collected in the earlier levels stay collected? Like, for example, if I've already found an ancestor spirit, do they stay found or do I have to go and find them again? Yeah, they do. Um, there's some, 
there's something based on, I guess, like a weekly reset or something like that, where you you might have to, uh, you might have uh, optional challenge to go back and find a particular one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you've found them, they stay found. Yeah, I also noticed that there's an optional purchase, some kind of pack that adds additional spirits to all of the areas. I can see the appeal of that if you know if you were into that hunt and maybe they also unlock additional customization options for you, that sort of thing. But I suspect that's going to be the sort of thing that they add. They, they've said they were going to add um, seasonal events to this game to hopefully keep people coming yeah, there's back a to seasonal it. event going on right now. Um, I think it's, there's 39 days left as we record this. Um, and it seems like what you get with this seasonal pass is um, right now there's the seasonal, the event has added a, uh, like a new spirit to the home uh, location uh, that has a couple of quests for you every day. Things like go and meditate by the pond in this and this level uh, or hold hands with a friend or, you know, something like that. And it's giving you these candles that can be spent for limited edition hats. Uh, <laughs> and I actually did find one hat that I would like to collect. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try and get the, the pointy party hat. It looks cool. Uh, and I guess those items will be seasonal and they'll rotate out and, and things like that. So I, I guess that's one way you can keep a game like this fresh. I mean, I have spent a lot of uh, money on Fall in L- London stories that always end with like, and you get a cool hat. And honestly, like my mantle, I'm not social that game at all. But I am very excited about some of the hats I picked up in that game. So I cannot fault you in the slightest for a game where you, people can actually see you in the hat. Yeah, I, I can see the appeal. I, 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 so I didn't finish the game and I'm really excited to get to that ending. But knowing myself, I think I'm just going to be done with it at that point. I don't see myself kind of replaying it. Even Journey, I've played through it twice and... After the first time, I really felt like I was done. And then there was probably five years before I played it again. And then I played it again. And I was like, that was great again. And then I was done. So I don't really know if I could see myself like playing this on an ongoing basis. But I do appreciate that that option is there. And that in a sense that that is subsidizing this artistic experience for folks who maybe don't want to engage with it on that level. So I appreciate it. I'm still personally sort of hoping, maybe even kind of holding out for uh, like a full console release of this, or they've said they're coming to Mac as well, like a a more full-fledged, less freemium-based experience where maybe the the currency is downplayed and there's no in-app purchases or something like that. I, I would have preferred an experience like that, but I understand that given the, the stated goal of making a this art experience that can be played by literally millions of people, this was probably the only way to accomplish that. So I'm, I'm happy with the choices that they made ultimately. Um, I, I am eager to see if we go back to this eventually. Like, is this something that like it, what can be added to an experience like this that might potentially bring us or, or our audience back to the game months or or even years later. I, I'm just curious what that would be. Well, I, I we'll mean, see. I they've suppose. said they might add more worlds, so yeah, that'd be something. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly interested to see what goes on there, and um, looking forward to hearing what our listeners have to think about this. If you have thoughts about uh, about Sky Children of the Light. 
let us know on Discord. That's a good place to chit chat with us about it. Uh, we didn't really mention this earlier, but we keep a channel for each show in the Discord that we use to plan the show. And then once the show airs, we roll that over to a kind of a post show chit chat where, you know, folks can go back and look at those messages if they're interesting, which often they're not. But you can also go on there and discuss episodes that have already aired. So great place to uh, to let us know what you thought about the game or chit chat with other short game listeners about what they thought about the game and maybe a good place to find a friend if you're looking to schedule some time to fly up the mountains together or what have you so hope we'll see folks on there yeah i am gonna play this game again and i'll be sharing um there's a friend link that i can send out uh i may have to send out more than one friend link i'm not sure how this works exactly but uh, I'm going to be heading back to the uh, Discord and start sending out some, I think it's like a QR code. It's it's a strange system. Yeah. We'll and, figure this out, won't we? And I'm we'll get this. close to the what the Eden, uh, the Eye of Eden. I almost called it the Summit. I'm like, nope, that's Journey. Uh, so if anyone's trying to finish the end game, uh, I'll also drop my friend code in the Discord. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks guys so much for, for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. And listeners, thanks so much for your support. Uh, hope to see you in the Discord. And uh, thank you for listening to The Short Game.